You're listening to a selection of stories from this week's Morning Ireland. Let's go to some other news just coming into us. Three people, a man and two children, have died in a road tragedy in Inishone in County Donegal. For more, we're joined by our Northern correspondent, Vincent Kearney. Vincent, what do you know? Well, uh, Rachel, this, this tragedy unfolded uh, shortly before half past ten last night. Uh, Gardaí say they were alerted to a car in the water at Quigley's Point near Muff in County Donegal, uh, just across the border from Derry. Uh, they said the car had been travelling towards Quigley's Point when the driver lost control and his vehicle skidded across the road and down an embankment and plunged into the water. Now, Rachel, this is a road I've driven over many times myself and at points along that road is quite high with a fairly steep drop down towards the water. Given the amount of rain there's been over the past few days, it's possible that the road surface was extremely wet. And there may have even been debris on the surface. Now, the, the 49-year-old male driver and two backseat passengers, a 14-year-old boy and a 6-year-old girl, died at the scene. Uh, a 45-year-old woman who was the front seat passenger in the vehicle managed to get out of the car. She went to seek assistance. Uh, Gardaí and emergency services attended the scene. and She was taken to Letterkenny University Hospital with what are described as non life threatening injuries. And a guard are appealing for anyone who is travelling on the road from Muff towards Quigley's Point between 10 and half past 10 last night and, and maybe saw the car going into the water and particularly anyone with dash cam footage uh, to contact Bongrana Garda Station, um, the Garda Confidential Line or any Garda Station. Clearly they're desperately trying to find out precisely what happened, how this tragedy unfolded. Vincent, thanks indeed for joining us with that. Vincent Kearney there of our Northern staff. So the Minister for Agriculture, Dara Kaliri, is under pressure this morning after he confirmed that he attended a function along with 80 other people. He also apologised. The dinner at a hotel in Clifton in County Galway took place on Wednesday night and was organised by the Oireachtas Golf Society. Just 24 hours earlier, the government had announced new restrictions to try and halt the spread of COVID-19. Last night, the acting chief medical officer, Dr Ronan Glid, said that while he wouldn't comment on an individual function, he would not want 80 people gathering at any one event. The Irish Examiner's political correspondent Aoife Grace Moore broke the story and she joins us on the line. Good morning. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? Tell us about this dinner. Who organised it and who was there? Yeah, so it was organised by the chair, which is Donny Cassidy, a former Fianna Fáil politician, and it was for the Oireachtas Golf Society, it's not an official Oireachtas um, group, as far as I know, but it is people who have worked or do currently still work in the Oireachtas or around the Oireachtas. Um, they have an event every year, so prize givens. And this event had been booked for a few months. And, la- and on Wednesday night, sorry, it was to honour the life of the former member, former Fianna Fáil MEP, Mark Kelly, who was from Galway himself. Um, so it was booked a few months ago, as far as we know, and there had been discussion in the run-up date. Um, as far as I'm aware, the hotel had contacted the group about the event and had contacted the Irish Hotels Federation to um, <laughs> ensure that they were within the guidelines. And it went ahead there on uh, Wednesday night. There was 82 people um, at the event. It was one large room um, with a partition 
in in the middle so people could come in and out um do mixed speeches and, and receive prizes i believe and yeah so it was um a lot of people who have worked in the Oireachtas before and people who currently are Noel Grealish the TD for Galway was there as you said the Minister for Agriculture the Commissioner Phil Hogan a lot of serving senators were there and a lot of uh, previous senators from previous dolls were there as well. Now, the measures announced on Tuesday evening, just 24 hours earlier, they refer to restaurants, including hotel restaurants, and they say no formal or informal events or parties should be organised in these premises and there should be a maximum of six people at a table. So that sounds pretty clear. Yeah, and see, to be honest, this week, um, I'm sure everyone will agree, has been pretty confusing from the government about the guidelines. I mean, I think most of the country spent two days kind of in the dark over what the rules actually were. I mean, we we all saw a confusion about, you know, theatres and what the Department of the Arts were saying compared to, you know, what Stephen Donnelly was saying. So there was a bit of back and forth. But And because of that um, kind of confusion, me and my colleague Paul Hosford, who wrote the story with me, we spent a lot of time yesterday on government websites trying to work out what the actual guidelines were. Um, because this event was so big, I began to doubt myself while I was mm-hmm. writing the story that maybe I was wrong. Um, but that, that advice, when we find that advice about, you know, hotel restaurants and, and functions, it, it couldn't have been clearer. Yeah, I did exactly the same thing myself this morning <laughs> and printed it out because it is when you go and look for it, it is there and it is pretty clear. Now, Dara Kaliri issued a statement last night. What does it say? Yeah, Dara um, sent us a statement um, just before the the story went live and then there was a further statement when the story started picking up traction, a text message went out. So the initial statement we got from his spokesman was that, you know, he did attend because he'd been asked to attend and he he said a few words and that that was it. And then the second statement that came out a few hours later when the story started really growing arms and legs was that, you know, he apologised on reservedly kind of to the public and to his colleagues in government and that he sees now that he probably shouldn't have went um but he what he had been asked to you know go and pay tribute to someone he had a lot of respect for he had passed away two years ago um and and that's why he went what about the others who were there including phil hogan the eu commissioner have you been speaking to any of them we have put um, a lot of queries in the, a lot of the people who were in attendance or were on the guest list, including the Commissioner Phil Hogan. We've yet to receive any word back. I know that a few other media outlets, um, broadcast outlets, have asked Mr Hogan to appear on their shows today and he's refused. The thing with Phil Hogan is there's a lot of grey area now that needs cleared up about whether he quarantined or not as he's based in Brussels. Now he well could have been in Ireland but these are questions that he's going to have to answer and I know from speaking to MEPs and people who work in Brussels they are tested quite regularly but it still remains that you know Brussels Belgium isn't on the green list so he would have had to quarantine regardless had he just come back from Brussels um, in the last few days, but that still remains unclear. So we're pretty braced that this is a story that's going to develop um, well into the weekend because there are a lot of questions. There are a few, um, there are guests on the guest list who we know reside in Kildare, who who the county was still in lockdown when the event went ahead. And there are some questions about whether those people were 
staying in their home in Kildare at the time, whether they had broken those restrictions or maybe they had been staying somewhere else. So, yeah, there's a lot of um, unanswered questions I think Mm. we're going to be talking about this for the next few days. It almost goes without saying at this stage that an awful lot of people have made an awful lot of sacrifices over the past five or six months. And, I, you know, you see in particular over the past few hours, people tweeting about funerals they couldn't go to, weddings cancelled, christenings they couldn't go to. At a time when the government was already under fire for its handling of the virus, is it safe to say that this isn't being well received? Yeah, we were actually talking about this last night. Me and Paul Hossford, who wrote the story with me, we both of us actually put our weddings off. We were both supposed to get married. Um, so, yeah, we've uh, we've also made those sacrifices. But I think, yeah, I mean, when the story went up last night and it started to gain traction, we started to get emails um, into the Irish Examiner, you know, from nurses, mm-hmm. from teachers, people who were living in Kildare, people who lived in Leishan Offaly who were just voicing their serious frustrations, the only word for it, you know, and anger. That, And I think the big thing, and I think for years to come, I think what people will remember most about this time period for Irish people is definitely funerals. Funerals are so important here. The whole kind of protocol around death is so important to people. And I do think that that's the thing that's really going to stay with people. You know, we've all seen those, like, heartbreaking images of people, you know, saying goodbye through windows of nursing homes and stuff like that. So I think, not to be, like, but I think that's the main thing that people are are so upset about Mm. is that we've all kind of made these sacrifices and, you know, this silly mistake from people who are supposed to know better um, kind of flies in the face of that. And I do think for a lot of young people that... um, I've been speaking to young people, you know, my own age. They kind of made the point that the, the Taoiseach was so quick um, in his speech on Tuesday to kind of malign the bad behaviour in a pub that we saw, you know, with young people. And their kind of thought was, you know, is he going to have this come down as hard on on this event as he does, as, you know, those what they're calling now 20 seconds of madness in that pub in Dublin. So, yeah, there's a lot of frustration and anger um, that we're getting ready and I'm sure that everyone else, everybody who meets someone in the street today, I think they're going to be talking about it. I'd say they are indeed. Listen, thanks a million for talking to us this morning. That was the Irish Examiner's political correspondent, Aoife Grace Moore. It's 20 past seven. Well, amid all of the focus on COVID-19 guidelines, there's one issue that has been ever-present, how and when to reopen the schools. In just a week to 10 days, primary and secondary schools are due to reopen for the first time since the pandemic. And there are a lot of questions still remaining about what schools will be like, how safe they will be for pupils and teachers when they finally reopen. Well, Norma Foley, the Minister for Education and a Fianna Fáil TD for Kerry, is here to talk to us about all of that. Now, Minister, before we get on to the schools, I do have to ask you for your reaction to the news that your former cabinet colleague and fellow Fianna Fáil member Dara Kaleri has resigned. Was that the right thing to do? Yes, well I'd have to say at the outset it really was a a very serious error of judgment and um, 
I understand the anger and frustration and indeed the disappointment really we're all being asked to to play our part as we journey through COVID-19 so it, it, it absolutely should not have happened but equally so I want to say that you know Dara has made um, a fulsome apology his remorse is absolutely genuine and I think he has put up his hand indeed he's put up both hands now and 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 he has resigned and I think it is a, a measure of, of the man that he has done that now, there were up to 80 people on the guest list for this event, including TDs, senators, the EU commissioner, Phil Hogan, a judge. Should they also all be resigning? Well, to be fair, um, I, I think Dara has shown leadership in this instance here. Um, really, it, we are facing a lot of difficulties as we journey through COVID-19. We're all being asked to accept personal responsibility for our actions. Indeed, and we are, and that's the point. So are you saying those others should also resign? Well, it's it's a matter for each individual, as I say. Um, Dara has 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 done the honourable thing in this instance. He has acknowledged it shouldn't have happened. He's accepted personal responsibility, and um, and I, I think that's you know the appropriate action that he has taken. But what about the others? Well, each of the others, and I'm I'm not aware as to who actually was there uh, at the event. But each of the others will, um, I have no doubt, will need to to look at their own personal circumstance and look at their own situation, and indeed perhaps to judge it against the standards that Dara has set. I mean, you've described his actions in attending this dinner just now as a serious error of judgment. So presumably, you feel the same about an EU commissioner attending, a judge, a senator attending in the same frame. Uh, absolutely, I do believe it was a serious error of judgment. I do absolutely believe that it, sh- it shouldn't have happened. Um, I think there is a, a personal and indeed collective responsibility in all of us in society to, to do what we need to do to journey safely through COVID-19. Like we've, we've all been playing our part from the beginning, and the Irish public have been magnificent in embracing, if you like, the, the very difficult, I suppose, demands that have been put on society to you know, to, to keep each other safe and to keep society safe. So um, I, I think it's important that we all do that. And as I say, um, Derek Leary has been very genuine in uh, the remorse he has uh, expressed for, for the event that happened. And it was a serious lapse of judgment, un- most unlike Derek Leary, I want to say, most unlike him. But he has put his hand up and he, he has, you know, taken the consequences of his actions. I mean, to your point there about the measures that are being introduced, when people look at, at all of these people attending this dinner and they're, the same, they're being asked to cancel birthday parties, weddings, not to have traditional funerals, young people not to go to house parties, and then this Oireachtas Golf Tribute Dinner happens. And it appears like there's one rule for the political establishment and another for everyone else. Absolutely, that is how it appears, and, and that is not acceptable that is utterly unacceptable it should never have happened it, it shouldn't have taken place and as i say um you know Derek leary has acknowledged that he has put his hand up and but without a shadow of a doubt must be absolutely clear the rules are clear the rules are unambiguous the request that has been made of all of us um are, are, are similar and we must all do when we must all play our part and we must all behave as we've been asked to behave now, given what you're saying there, do you think the government is in trouble now? Well, I, I think, to be fair, and, um, you know, a serious breach of, of judgment occurred. Um, the minister concerned put his hand up. He took the honourable action uh, from his point of view. Um, he has resigned. Um, 
and I, I, I think, you know, that is a measure of, of Derek Cleary himself that he has done that. So, look, there are always going to be issues and challenges in government. That's the nature of government. Um, how we react to them is the measure of government, and I think uh, Dara has reacted um, correctly in this instance and has been very genuine uh, in his actions and in his remorse, and we move on now. Are there any plans for an emergency cabinet meeting today or anything like that? Well, as you'll appreciate, this is this has just happened, <laughs> and this is unfolding and breaking news. Um, there, there will be a, a cabinet um, meeting in relation to uh, the lockdown and, um, you know, the advice that uh, will become available uh, from NEFIT in relation to that. But um, as I say, this particular issue is just unfolding. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, the reason, I suppose, that you are here to talk to us this morning, Minister Foley, which is reopening the schools. Can you guarantee that all schools will be ready to reopen in the next week to 10 days? Well, in the first instance, Katrina, I must say phenomenal work has been going on in our schools, the length and breadth of this country. Um, School communities are working night and day. I've been working for the last number of weeks, will be working today, and indeed will continue working early next week to ensure that our schools open safely and uh, open on time uh, to welcome back our students. And um, I'm very conscious and very aware of that work that is ongoing. And also, indeed, I must say, the substantial resources that have been put in by government, a package of £375 to ensure that the the measures and the resources can be put in place in our schools. So I know that that work is ongoing. The reports... Are you confident um, it will be completed and and every child will be back next week? You're confident every child will be back next week? Yes, absolutely. All the measures that need to be put in place, the resources that need to be put in place um, are being put in place. But again, I acknowledge it is one thing for government to make the resources available. The absolute hard work, the the daily working every single day in our schools to make that possible has been done by school communities. And I want to acknowledge that this morning. And I know school communities are looking forward next week to welcoming students back. Okay, now currently we have three counties in lockdown. There will be that cabinet meeting later today to decide on the NEFIT advice as to what to hap- what happens next. And if, as reported, at least one of those counties has its lockdown extended, what will happen to schools in that county? Well, it, it, it is, and again, we will wait the NEFIT advice that will come before cabinet, but it is my hope that, that schools will, um, will operate um, as normal, um, you know, in, in these instances, people will, will continue uh, to go to work, um, and students, um, it is my hope and expectation that that will be um, the advice this afternoon, will, will also um, uh, attend school. So if there is a lockdown, the school will re- schools in that county will remain open? Quite well, again, I have to say to you, I, I will uh, await the advice that will come this afternoon, okay. but uh, all the plans are in, in place in, in the three counties and in all counties, and um, all the, the necessary arrangements have been made. So it is, it, it is my hope that that would, would be um, what will happen. OK, now let's just move on to school transport then. Another important issue, obviously, is how do you get to school in the first place? Um, a confirmation from your department yesterday that school transport, school buses for secondary school students would only operate at 50% capacity to allow for social distancing. What will happen to the rest of the students? Well, as you are aware... The initial public health advice uh, viewed students as a single cohort of passengers travelling in a very controlled environment. And as such, buses uh, for both primary and secondary school could operate as always with you know, additional measures like hand sanitizer, PPE for the bus driver, cleaning resources, and indeed students would sit in designated seats. And um, so 
you know, they would sit with a sibling or they would sit with a classmate or whatever. And, and funding of 11.3 million was made available to ensure that that would happen. And then further advice was received some two weeks ago, again in relation to our, our schools where at second level students were, and, and staff were being asked to wear masks and we have embraced that. And the latest public health advice, which has just come this week, um, is that um, primary school, um, school transport will operate as normal, but for second level students that, again, were social distancing not possible, masks will be worn, and that um, school transport for second level students will operate or mirror public transport. So immediately we have uh, gone into discussion um, with uh, bus airing in relation to that and um, we are rolling out that uh, capacity uh, as quickly and as speedily as possibly can be done. Will it happen in time for the first day of school though? Well, to be fair, it is quite a logistical challenge to do that immediately. So that's um, a no. We're talking about, you know, um, an additionality of perhaps 1,600 um, buses. Some buses will operate at that capacity next week, but we will be rolling that out as quickly as we possibly can. And I suppose I, sh- I should add... But how will those children get to school then, Minister, if you, s- you need another 1,600 buses to take care of everyone and you won't have them by next week? Well, what, what I'm saying is the government decision is that a school transport would proceed as planned, but that we would roll out as quickly and as speedily as we can the additional buses. I should also add that we are offering the facility to parents if they have um, a child who is eligible to travel on the bus, should they wish to organise their own transport um, in the meantime, um, they will be recompensed for doing that. Look, I, I think it's hugely important in the department, as indeed across all departments and indeed across society at the moment, that we show flexibility and resilience and an ability to adapt to unfolding um, public health advice, because that's the way it's going to be as we live and journey through COVID-19. We will have to be flexible. We will have to be resilient to adapt to the ever-changing public health Indeed, advice. Indeed, but you and appreciate exactly that parents and teachers want to know what's happening in schools and how they will get there next week. But we'll have to leave it there for the, the mo- this morning. Uh, Minister of Education, Norma Foley. Now, as you've been hearing, the country's children will be going back to school here on Morning Ireland next Wednesday. We'll have a panel of experts to answer questions from parents, teachers, students, anyone else in the back-to-school process who has a question. And you can email those to school at rte. .ie the time now is 8:29 Welcome back to Morning Ireland. Well from this morning we have a whole new set of measures and restrictions in place to arrest the further spread of the coronavirus in our communities. There are new limits on the numbers of people who can meet indoors or congregate outdoors and at sporting events. We're asked to continue working from home where possible and to use public transport only when absolutely necessary. Our elderly are advised to limit their networks and Gardaí are to be given extra powers to enforce the existing measures. In a moment, I'll be speaking to Professor Philip Nolan, Chair of Neffet's Epidemiological Modelling Advisory Group. First, let's hear the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, who announced the new measures yesterday. Throughout Europe and the wider world, people are seeing that COVID-19 will not simply disappear. We're absolutely not at a stage where we can return to normality. Individually and together, we have to act as if the virus is present wherever we are and to act accordingly. We are at another critical moment. 
The Taoiseach Michal Martin there. Well, Philip Nolan, the Taoiseach says we're at another critical moment. It does seem that every day since last March we have been at a critical moment. As the man looking at the figures, what do you know that has prompted these latest measures? So I think the Taoiseach is correct. Um, What we've seen over the last several weeks um, is a uh, slow uh, but very very particular rise in the level of disease in the population. We've seen the virus spread, essentially, uh, from workplaces to households and now between households and into the community. Uh, the rate of growth is significantly slower than it was at our other critical juncture uh, back in, in late February and early March, but it is too fast. And unless we move quickly now together, to prevent further transmission between households and from households into the community. And that's the core message behind these interventions, to limit our social contacts and to limit those social contacts to small groups. Unless we move now collectively and firmly to prevent further transmission of the virus, we will see case numbers rising to a level that are unsustainable. And it would help to know how this happened, because over the past number of weeks, we saw the problems at the meat plants, but were told by Dr. Ronan Lynn that it was largely contained to clusters. But clearly something else was happening, as you say, in homes and at gatherings. But there was little public knowledge of this. What was going on? So, so in the background, I think I, I think two things have happened here. You, 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 you may remember in the very early to middle part of July, uh, Neffet uh, and the modelling group began to sound some warnings that completely understandably we were beginning to see more spread of the virus than we had seen in previous weeks, that the reproduction number had gone from below one to above one because people understandably were largely, I think, through forgetfulness rather than complacency, not as careful as they had been with hand hygiene, social distancing, limiting their contacts. And I think on the background of that, one of the things that we know about this virus is if you get a significant pocket or reservoir or outbreak of disease um, in a population that perhaps has relaxed a little bit the basic preventative measures, it's like fire into a tinderbox. The population is transmitting the virus just a little bit more than they should. But with a large number of cases associated with outbreaks in a region or in a small country, that can spread very quickly. That's our experience and the international experience. The, the, The virus is telling us something here, that unless we collectively, each and every one of us, does everything we can to to not be the person that unfortunately transmits the virus, the virus will find a way to spread in the population. I don't know if you heard Rory Brewer earlier saying that it should have been reported to us where the transmission is taking place. Uh, I, I didn't hear Professor Brewer earlier, but uh, but my sense is that we have been quite clear with the public about the, the types of transmission that are that are occurring and where they're occurring. So So we were telling the public... Uh, about this increase in the reproduction number in the background. Is it true that over half the cases are now in the community? Uh, Not quite, no. Um, uh, One of the things that's that's difficult to monitor is, is the level of community transmission. And the reason is this. Every case requires detailed investigation by public health teams. 
And it's only after that investigation that you know where somebody picked up the disease. So we, we've, ha- we've had several hundred cases reported in the last seven days. Uh, prior to that, the level of community transmission w- was very low. Um, and of those hundreds of cases reported in, in the last seven days, some we know to be associated with outbreaks, but a okay. significant proportion remain under investigation and it's not yet clear whether they're community transmission or linked to a contact or linked to an outbreak. But I, we do know that the level of community transmission appears to have doubled over the last 10 days. So that's the reason for moving at this point to when uh, the restrictions were required in Kildare, Leash and Offaly. The objective was clear, prevent community transmission. We think that early move prevented a lot of community transmission but despite that, we've seen an increase in community transmission, in particular in other parts of the country. OK, now, it seems, according to Fergal Bowers and the letter that you wrote there to uh, the government, that not all of your recommendations have been taken on board. You wanted, for instance, cafes and restaurants to close an hour earlier at 10.30. In fact, the government extended their opening hours to 11.30. You wanted people to attend workplaces only where absolutely necessary, whereas the actual guidance is a lot softer. You wanted weddings limited to 15 people, but they are at 50. Are you concerned that they didn't take your recommendations fully on board well this this is this is the way we work uh, uh, Neffet makes its recommendations from a public health perspective and and, and government decides and and there were recommendations made that government wants to engage in greater detail on or, or think through further or is not prepared to accept that happens I think the core message remains the same what what both Neffet and the government are saying to people is we are at this critical juncture uh, the, the central recommendation, and that central recommendation to avoid congregation, to limit parties to six people indoors, and by parties I mean groups of people. Yeah. And in, who in comes up setting. with that number? Who, who comes up with six and from three families? How does that work? Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's simply a trade-off in risk. It's a, it's a risk analysis. Uh, uh, the, the more people you have in a setting... Uh, the greater the risk of viral transmission. And, and it's, it's, it's largely a linear relationship. So you have to establish a cutoff, which on the one hand allows people to have a reasonable level of social contact that allows us to stay human during this mm-hmm. very difficult period and at the same time not, not uh, create a significant risk of transmission. Uh, and if you think about it, if you've, if you've five households and ten people uh, th- that's that's almost double the risk as five or six people from three households. So it really is uh, uh, a trade-off between allowing some level of social activity and uh, minimising the risk of transmission. Can I turn to tracing? It's been said that if the, trace, the testing and tracing system is not up to scratch and happening very quickly, that all of these restrictions are useless. Well, that's what do you simply say? not... That's simply not true. Uh, there, there is um, test, testing and tracing is very important. It's a very important tool for public health to move in and close down outbreaks quickly. Right. But it isn't a way of, it's, it's, its contribution to preventing transmission is modest. 
So it's but a it, it has <coughs> slowed down, though, you agree. It I has. think in, on the 16th of July, your, the minutes of the NEFET meeting said that it was 1.93 days from for testing and tracing. That has gone up to 285. And that's very close to the figure of three, which international experts would say beyond that, you're really fighting a losing battle. Yeah, and, and, and just let me be clear, the, the, mo- the, the most important ways that we have of reducing viral transmission are limiting contacts, physical distancing and hand hygiene. They're, they're, they will account for more than three quarters of any reduction in transmission. And the addition of test, test tracing and isolate might add an additional 15 or 25% of reduction in viral transmission. That's really important. That reduction will limit transmission, uh, uh, will prevent infections, will save people from serious disease. So, so, so we're saying two things. One, the basic measures that we can all take are the most important measures, but it is also important. And yes, our, because of the challenge of managing these very large outbreaks, our test and trace system has experienced some strain uh, over the last week. The HSE did an extraordinary job in setting up an outstanding test and trace system. Uh, uh, but it will come under pressure place. as more people need it to is. be tested. That's, that's recognised. It is under pressure. And is both, it up to the job? NEFIT government uh, and the HSE all recognise that. Uh, and as the minister would, would have said last night, are working uh, uh, to correct that. So, so it's reasonable for us to be constantly trying to improve our test and trace system. But I do want to, to, to make it clear to your listeners, it's not some kind of magic wand that can prevent infection. It's a tool used to control outbreaks. Indeed. The, the, the way to prevent infection is those basic measures that I've mentioned already. Can I just ask you about school buses? It does appear that Nevit is very concerned about school buses. With schools opening in two weeks, um, what needs to be done more on that front? So uh, the, the situation there is that, is that the two ministers involved uh, are planning to work together on, on, on the detail of that. And it's, it's not really for me to comment on, on that detail. But what needs to be done is that appropriate protocols need to be in place. Just so you're not happy have. with what's there so far? Uh, it, well, it's quite clear that, that NEFIT is recommending that, that those involved uh, pay very careful inten- attention to ensuring that the proper protocols are in place. Um, okay. uh, just as we have in public transport, there are ways of minimising the risk of infection uh, in public transport, and, and so those um, uh, can, can be applied in school transport. Okay, Professor Philip Nolan, thank you very much for joining us. So 195,000 homes and businesses are without electricity this morning. To put that in perspective, at the height of Storm Emma, the so-called beast from the east back in 2018, 117,000 premises lost power. Let's talk to Derek Hines, who's operations manager with ESB Networks. Derek, thanks for talking to us. Huge numbers without power this morning. Where has been worst affected? Uh, Good morning, Rachel. The worst affected counties for us this morning, a bit like what Jim said, are Cork, particularly the east side of Cork, where there's about 40,000 homes without power currently. Tipperary was also badly affected. We've currently 35,000 homes and businesses in the county of Tipperary. Next up was Westmead with 20,000, then Longford with 15,000, and then Limerick with 12,000. So we can trace the impact of Storm Ellen 
um, in line with the Medair forecast on our network as it moves up through the country. Yeah, and some of these are counties where you might have expected a problem, but others perhaps not. And I'm thinking in particular, say, of Longford and Westmead. Yeah, so what we were ready for yesterday really was uh, a fairly serious weather event to hit the south coast and then all sorts of variable routes for it to pass its way up through the country. Um, So what we did with all of our crews yesterday was make sure that they were ready to deploy from 7am this morning from their home base. What we'll do over the course of this morning today is assess the information that comes back from those crews and from the public Um, And when it's safe to do so, we will redeploy crews around the country. Um, So a bit like what Cork County Council are doing, we're trying to make the best of our resources. Um, Thankfully, we have lots and lots of crews that we can put to work this morning. Um, We had about 50 crews out overnight, predominantly in the southern half of the country, where it was safe to do so. We were out responding to unsafe situations. Um, We're really concerned this morning about getting information from the public, particularly around fallen trees or fallen wires. And we'd be asking everybody to ring us at 1800-372-999 with any information about fallen trees or fallen wires so that we can keep people safe. And that will also allow us to figure out the best estimated power restoration times for all of the families who don't have power at the minute. We're hoping that by 9 or 10 a.m. this morning, everybody who doesn't have power should have a reasonably accurate estimated restoration time based on this initial information. That information will get better over the course of the rest of the day and as we walk through um, the upcoming hours as we get more information back in. You mentioned that the main problems were in Cork, Tipperary, Westmeath, Longford and Limerick. Are there smaller problems in other counties as well? Yeah, absolutely. Roscommon have about 8,000 homes, as do Galway, without power. Um, and then we're seeing smaller numbers in places like um, Kilkenny, Waterford, Kerry, uh, Clare and Sligo. So so it's really the centre and the western portion of the country which was affected by Storm Ellen. Um, we are, as Cork County Council mentioned, also under a yellow alert for the rest of today. So where I am here in Kildare at the minute, it's still really windy and we're expecting lots of rain. So while we had 194,000 homes without power, what we're seeing at the minute are uh, reports from the public coming in, notifying us of even more locations where there's damage on our network. So we're expecting even more information and an even busier day ahead based on the numbers that we're seeing so far. Mm. And if people want to check on progress in their area throughout the day, where should they go? What should they do? Powercheck.ie is the best place for anybody who doesn't have power What we'd be asking everybody to do is to check on powercheck.ie to see if we are aware of your outage. And if we're not aware of it, to ring us at 1800 372 999. And that will allow us to fill in any gaps in our information so that we can get the best deployment of our resources over the next couple of days. Mm. Is this one of the biggest problems you've had to deal with in recent years? I mean, it seems very widespread this morning and we're talking also about huge numbers. Yeah, it's it's up there. Um, the biggest one we had was Storm Ophelia in October 2017, which um, disconnected power to 385,000 families across the country. And then after that was Darwin in 2014, in February 2014, where 280,000 homes were disconnected. Uh, based on the initial numbers, we're, this is probably the third biggest storm that we've had over recent years, but it's definitely the first one that we've had this time of the year. 
Um, and any time something happens during the summer, the impact of the trees and the amount of leaves on those mm. trees, um, it does affect our network differently. So it's slightly unknown territory in terms of the damage that we're going to find today. But um, we've lots of experience and, and lots of very well-trained and very competent and committed staff who I'm sure will, will do a really good job. Well, listen, the very best of luck to you and your crews throughout the day. We'll probably check in with you again later on in the programme. Derek Hines there, Operations Manager with ESB Networks. Uh, 13 minutes past eight and restaurateur Jay Burke has said he is satisfied that having looked at CCTV from the Berlin venue, that the footage shared on social media does not reflect fully what happened in the bar on Saturday. The acting chief medical officer Ronan Glynn said yesterday the behaviour in videos circulating on social media was reckless and simply could not be tolerated. He said there must be a zero tolerance approach from here on in. Last night, RTE's Samantha Library spoke to Jay Burke and began by asking asking him for his reaction to what he saw on the video footage. I was, uh, I was appalled uh, at the video. Very, very unhappy indeed, and embarrassed actually. Um, but um, I, I was actually in, in West Cork, and uh, so I drove up today and I managed to get my hands on the CCTV footage. I managed to interview my staff. Uh, I talked to my head of security, and I've sort of been gathering information all day um, about uh, the the day's events and the evening's events. Uh, I've even been to see the police, um, the inspector in charge of licensing in the Pier Street area. Uh, and I'm sort of satisfied that I've got to the bottom of it all, really. So talk us through what your understanding is of what happened last night. Well, uh, well, in fact, the first thing to say is that it was in the daytime. And the, the, this, the short clip, 20-second clip was taken at about 10 to 4. And uh, there was a brunch there, which was a pre-booked event um, with uh, sequenced uh, dining. Everyone ate. There was 51 people in in a premises that normally fits probably five times that. So it's 20% capacity. All the PPE, contact tracing, hygiene were adhered to. The staff were wearing masks. And unfortunately, at about 10 to 4, one of my barmen decided to jump up in the bar Pour some whiskey into, some, into four people's mouths, and someone took a video of it, and it looked absolutely horrific. It looked as if it was uh, it was gone bananas. But in fact, when you look at the CCTV footage of the whole um, of the premises, in fact, was pretty well controlled. So that that footage does not reflect what went on that day at all. But there are not just one, but several videos on social media now showing different parts of that evening. Well, again, I have four hours of it and uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm handing the footage into the police. I'm hand, I've given the footage to RTE. I've given the footage to the Irish Times. And it shows very clearly that not only were the people distanced, but the tables were distanced and, and, and that it was, sparsely, it was quite sparsely populated. So it looks terrible, but it ain't that terrible. And remember that like these premises, like if I turn the ventilation on in Berlin in D2, you can't hear for the, the air changes. There's air changes in the lobbies. There's air changes in the loo. There's a, there's a toilet attendant. It gets, it's cleaned. It's sterilized. It's a very controlled environment. Now, I'm not excusing that video or that behavior or, that, or what that particular barman did. But I, I have to be objective about my own position as, as, a, as, a, as an operator and say, well, what did we do wrong and how, how are we never going to let that happen again? And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy that I can say it will never happen again, that 
at all times since we opened on the 29th of June, the place has adhered to the guidelines very strictly. We've been visited more than 25 times by the police. We've been visited by the HSE last Wednesday, and they, uh, they have been happy with us at all times. This was just a mad moment, and unfortunately it's happened, and we're trying to pick up the pieces and get everyone back to work. Under the guidelines, are people allowed to move between tables and dance? Uh, well, the guidelines don't actually talk about dancing, but uh, dancing would not be encouraged, nor would, nor, nor, would, uh, nor would jumping around from table to table, actually. I mean, we're trying to keep people separated, and it's our job to do that. However, I mean, people were, were standing up and dancing in, 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 at their table. They, they weren't doing anybody any harm. Under the guidelines, are people allowed at the bar? Under the guidelines, you're not, you, the bar counter is supposed to be kept free and there's no stools at the bar counter. So the, the, the four people that did approach the counter should not have been there and the barman should not have done what he did. Under the guidelines, they specify that there should be table service only in a venue. Is that what the barman was doing? No, no the, barman was, the, mar, the, the barman was not doing what he was supposed to do. No one's trying to hide that. The barman, you know was naughty but he, he's young and they got excited and the customers are young and you know it was a moment of, of exuberance I suppose and I suppose it's it's my job as an operator of clubs and pubs and all that kind of thing just to keep the exuberant young under control and under normal circumstances I do but, but it just this was this was an aberration rather than a normal occurrence. It was described as a baked brunch. It was advertised as such and described as a boozy brunch with your buds. And for the €25 ticket, what was promised was admission, which I presume is admission, a dish, a shot and a hell of a hoolie. They certainly got that, didn't they? Well, (laughs) they certainly they got fed. They got a drink when they came in and there was there was there was recorded music played. And yeah, I mean, you know, young people need to have fun and that's that's our job to provide that in a safe environment is it appropriate in the middle of a pandemic is it appropriate for young people to have fun or i mean i'm not trying to, to advertise a hell of a hooli um well clearly we regret putting the brunch on we wish we hadn't because we're in a maelstrom of media and uh, you know people are, have got death threats through social media and we are being we're being hung out to dry but, I mean, from, from my own point of view, I'm happy that, except for that moment, that it was properly run and socially distanced and professionally professionally run. So, But it, do you accept that at that moment, if it was just that moment, that a breach of the public health guidelines happened here? Do I accept that a breach of the public health? Well, I do accept it and I've, I've, I, I, I'm deeply embarrassed about it. However... It wasn't a free-for-all, it wasn't wild, it wasn't crazy overcrowding. It was actually, apart from that moment, a very professionally run event. The Restaurant Association and the Licensed Vintners Association have called for your premises to be shut down. Do you understand why they've made that call? Well, I do understand why they've made that call, but I mean, I don't think they can decide on the fate of this particular premises on the basis of a 20-second clip. I couldn't decide on the basis of a 20-second clip. I watched hours of... CCD footage of my premises today with my colleagues. I've interviewed the staff. I've interviewed the manager. I've interviewed the barman. I've been to see the police. And I'm the toughest critic that I have. Uh, It's my job to keep people safe, and I take it very seriously. Um, And I understand COVID because I had it, and it's not fun, and I I don't want anyone to get it. So for them to throw us under the bus, to me, 
is something they said without any information and and and, and you know I, I i i'm i'm a little bit annoyed about it frankly You'd be aware more than most that there's thousands of publicans who are still waiting to reopen their doors. Do you think you've damaged their chances of Well, I'm, I'm one of those publicans. I mean, we, you know, I, 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 I'm involved in pubs as well and we have staff and we have people and we have suppliers and we have all sorts of stakeholders relying on us. So I'm with them all the way and I don't think this helps at all. Uh, and I'm extremely sorry about that. However, this is not an excuse to hang us out to dry. We have run a professional operation. The acting chief medical officer, Ronan Glynn, described the scenes this evening as reckless and he said there's going to need to be a zero tolerance approach to this kind of behaviour. What do you say to that? Again, I say to Dr. Glynn uh, that, you know, he is he is judging us on the basis of a 20 second clip. I mean, social media is not it's not judge and jury. You know, you have to get a more objective view of what went on. Are you concerned about the impact this is going to have on your ability to renew your licence? No, I'm not worried about it because I've been to see the police. We've handed in all the footage of the day. We have a good relationship with the police. We've worked with them for years and years and years. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't think we broke a law. That was 20 seconds of madness, and that's all. If we'd broken the law, it would be a different matter. You mentioned the staff and you mentioned the members of the public who was there, but ultimately, do you take responsibility for what happened? Well, I have to. I've no choice. Restaurateur Jay Burke speaking yesterday then to Samantha Library. All over the country, schools are preparing for the new term. One such example is Corpus Christi Primary School in Moy Ross in Limerick. It's a Jesh school. Corpus Christi is an essential part of the community. For many of their pupils, the stability associated with the school environment is something that they've missed dearly. Well, our reporter Tommy Meskel is in Corpus Christi this morning and we can cross over to him now. Tommy. Thank you, Carol, and good morning from Moiras. We're standing inside the third classroom, or bubble as it might be referred to in the COVID era. And if you're watching on the RT News Now channel, you can see us there as well. I'm joined by the school's principal, Tiernan O'Neill, and their home school liaison officer, Hilary McAuley. And both will tell me about the work they've been doing over the past few weeks and months, not only to ensure the new term can get underway as smoothly as possible, but also to ensure that their pupils were keeping well during the COVID crisis. Now, when I arrived at Corpus Christi yesterday, it was already a hive of activity. Teachers were here, the caretaker was here, and that has been the case throughout the summer. I also met Johnny, Kiva, Niall and Patrick. They were here for their DESH summer camps, and before they headed home, I asked them about how they managed when the school was closed and their feelings ahead of the new term. Hello, my name is Johnny Ryan and I'm nine. I wasn't in school because of the COVID-19 restrictions, because the COVID-19 cases were spiking up. You're going back to school hopefully now, it's just around the corner. Are you looking forward to it and why are you looking forward to it? Yes, I'm looking forward to it because I'm going to be problem solving with my friends in stations. How will it be different? Because we couldn't be sitting next to each other over coronavirus and we can't really um, contact with each other. That'll be a bit weird, won't it? Because, you know, like when you're outside playing and all that sort of thing, it's, it's kind of hard to keep your distance, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep our distance because everybody is squished together and they might forget about the restrictions. Kiva Tierney, and I am nine years old. I miss seeing all my teachers and friends because they are very far away and I barely get to see anyone. How did you keep yourself busy and what were you doing? 
I normally do colourings and I always run around my back because my back is very big. It's probably the size of the classroom or a little smaller, but I don't know. So then I normally just go for little jogs around the garden as well. So you kept busy? Yeah. I've been practising my math and everything. I've been doing early nights since I've started doing my July provision. Oh, excellent. So during summer you were still able to come into school. Was yeah. that, is that right? Yes. My name is Nigel Larry and I'm nine. Are you looking forward to getting back into the rhythm of school? Yeah, because I get to play with my friends and all and start learning. So when I grow up I can be lost marker and get a better job. When you go back to school, how, how are you going to try and be a bit more careful? Well, I'll wash my hands every day, put hand sanitizer on and keep two metres apart. Hello, my name is Patrick McCallaghan and I'm nine and I'm going into fourth class. When I go in, like, I get to play on the yard and, like, like we're b- bigger people and then, I would, like, we can play soccer. How did you keep up with your schoolwork? We went on our phones and we were doing homework and, like, we were talking to our teachers, was on the phone, phone calls, and we were playing games. So your teachers kept in touch with you the whole time? Yeah, on the phone. And, and once we were talking to her, like, we could talk about what we were doing back home. They lecture, like, are you good, are you feeling good, like, uh, what, what are you doing back home, are you uh, playing games? playing with someone. Well, yesterday I also met teacher Emma Lenan, who explained the new layout for their new classrooms. So we're currently in a third class classroom, and as you can see, it's quite sparse around us. We have removed a lot of the furniture out of the room. And then what we've done is our class are now a bubble, and within the bubble you have four pods. So the children's desks are put together in a group of six children per table, and that needs to be a metre away from all the other pods. So we have four pods. Children will not be able to move from pod to pod. They have to stay with their team, like in their six like libraries, cushions, tents, everything has been removed. We're down to the basic table and chair. That's it. Things like correcting the copy book. Can you do that? We don't know. This is this is the question. Can we do it? They say we have to sanitize and spray down every copy book. So what we're looking at now is making them all little packs, you know, where they're going to have their pencils, their rubber, their colours, and that they stay at their table and nothing leaves that desk from the minute they walk in to the minute they leave in the evening, which... Easier said than done with, with primary children, yeah. Yes, yeah. And then also lunchtime, can they go outside and how does that work? So we are hoping they can go outside but they have to go out within their bubble, in classroom bubble. So we're staggering all our breaks. So there'll be numerous breaks over the day. Um, and then on the yard, they'll be segregated into their pods within the yard space. So they'll be within their bubble and then again within their pod. So, so those six children, that's all they're going to get to interact with in the day, regardless of where their friendships lie. You yourself, you have a new arrival on the way, you have your own good news. But with that comes perhaps uh, worry uh, and you understand the importance of, of protecting yourself against this disease. And that is, that it is a major fear and that's why I've come out of the class as a class teacher because I just felt it wouldn't have been feasible whatsoever to, to socially distance from the class. I'm hoping that in SCT I'll have less interaction. But I, I still think, you know, we'd be trying to abide by all the guidelines, but children don't understand. You know, I've seen a few this week from July Provision and they just want to come up and hug you, especially after having such a strange time for the last five months.
And teacher Emma Lenan speaking to me yesterday. Well, now I can turn to Tiernan O'Neill, the principal here at Corpus Christi, and Hilary, their homeschool liaison officer. But first to you, Tiernan, uh, we heard there that there's been an awful lot of work underway throughout the summer, whether it be reconfiguring the school or indeed, um, you know, summer camps with the children. Can you tell us about some of the work that has been underway? Uh, good morning, Tommy. Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, I suppose our school never really closed. You know, from the onset of lockdown, uh, as a day school, we were considered an essential service, so we were obviously involved in the distribution of, of school meals. Of, we were delivering iPads to families uh, so they could engage with the online learning platforms. We were running, obviously, the programs over the summer, the day summer camps, the July provision program. So it really has been a hive of activity, and we've obviously as well been over the last number of weeks and months reconfiguring classrooms, uh, creating new entrances into the school. And uh, the reality is a lot of this predated the school roadmap that came out on the 27th of July, because I suppose to be frank about it, if we were waiting for that, we certainly wouldn't be ready to open on the, the 1st of September. So a huge collective effort has gone in, and I suppose it's important to acknowledge all the stakeholders in that. Teachers have been phenomenal, SNAs have been incredible, caretakers, school secretaries, school cleaners, school support staff, right across the country, like the collective responsibility that the school staff have taken at a micro level has been phenomenal. I would like to think now that we will see at a macro level an appropriate central government response so that will enable us to not only reopen our schools but ensure that our schools can remain open. I might turn to you now because we heard there about the importance of maintaining contact, especially for a DESH school. Can you tell us what will your priority be as this new term gets underway? Thank you, Tammy. Yes, uh, in this school, we always prioritise the relationship. So uh, children coming back in, we just want to make sure they feel connected, safe and secure. Today alone, the junior infant teacher is coming in and we're going to go and complete some home visits and we'll stand at the gate and uh, follow COVID guidelines. But just gives the children a chance to meet their teacher. We've already done that throughout the year. We delivered junior infant packs over the summer. And today now they'll get to meet their teacher again. And next week, they'll come in in small little groups to meet the teacher and then before they start back on the 1st of September. Very good. So briefly, Tiernan, I suppose there's challenges, of course there are, but overall I suppose there's excitement too. Yeah, you're ready to get back into, back into the game and welcome the children back. Yeah, absolutely. We cannot wait to see the children coming back into our schools, Tommy, but the most important thing to state here is we want the schools to remain open and whether we call them classes or groups or bubbles or pods, they're overcrowded and underfunded, so we need solution-focused responses from our government, government minister now. We need visibility, we need clarity, we need reassurance and most importantly we need leadership. Our children are our most precious commodity. They're our future and we need to ensure that we have a roadmap that not only reopens our schools but ensures that our schools remain open. Well, look, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much to Tiernan and to Hillary and everyone who was chatting to me. Uh, in a statement, the department told us that uh, their recruitment process is still underway um, as they try and get more substitutes uh, available to, to all schools. Uh, but for now, there we leave it. We cross back to Dublin now and back to Katrina. You've been listening to a selection of stories from this week's Morning Ireland.